I am in my Shavuot Pentecost series, and we are in series number four. We've been looking at what it means to come out of Egypt, both in the past and more specifically, how to come out of this Egypt of sin and shame, the world that we're living in now, what Paul called, or what uh, John called, Babylon in the book of Revelation. And so what I want to do is uh, get back to Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about our weapons of warfare and what we do in regards to um, these weapons. So, in our war against evil and authorities and wicked powers, doing what is good and right is one of the ways that we resist and overcome evil. In fact, what we're going to talk about today is the breastplate of righteousness. It's one of those weapons or armament that we use in our battle against uh, evil and wicked powers. So doing what is good and what is right is called righteousness. It originates with God. It comes to us as a gift through faith in Jesus. And as we grow in it, we discover the power to not only change our own selves, but to change the world that we live in. Paul lists righteousness as one of our weapons against evil in our world. So let's take a closer look at the breastplate of righteousness and how to cultivate that in our lives. I've been working from Ephesians chapter 6, so turn, turn with me there. And we'll read uh, the context of our passage today. It's found in verses 10 through 11. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So our passage, verse 14, states, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And oftentimes we ask, well, what is righteousness? What does that mean and what is it, right? Simply put, the Hebraic concept is that which is good, equitable, just, and right righteousness that which is right a right way of viewing things a right way of living that's what it means to be righteous and we all have our own our own ideas about what is good and equitable just and right but his ways are not our ways often our definitions are juxtaposed to his definitions in fact, we find ourselves calling evil good and calling good evil. Just look at the world we're living in, right? It is totally upside down. What we legislate as right and good, the Lord says, is an abomination. And yet for us, it feels right. We think it's right, but it's not right. 
It's not righteousness at all. It's actually the opposite. This is the war between good and evil. And this is the agenda of the evil one, to flip that around so that the evil is good and the good is evil. So what we need today is true righteousness if we're going to resist and overcome evil in our world. God tells us that his righteousness is a gift and a virtue to be expressed and given to all around us. So let's explore this righteousness as a gift and then as a virtue to be fostered. And finally, how we would foster and apply it in our lives and in our world. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we bless you. We declare you are the only true righteous being. That righteousness is who you are. You are filled with it. Your world, Lord God, needs it. We look to you to impart it. We hunger and thirst for it. So come and move in our hearts, pour it out upon us, and show us how to apply it in our lives, that we might be your representatives in a world that is upside down and confused and bent on hell itself. So come and have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at righteousness as a gift. It's something that's outside of us. It's something we do not possess. We have to come to God and say, God, what is your idea about righteousness? And would you give that to me? This is the only way that we're going to step into true righteousness. Romans chapter 3 says this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Think about that. Righteousness has been manifested. The ideas about righteousness have traction because they're manifest so that we can see righteousness. And what is Paul talking about? He says, it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So the first thing I want to point out is Paul says that righteousness is manifested. And what he's talking about is Jesus. Jesus is is the manifest presence of righteousness. Jesus is what righteousness looks like in a human being. Jesus is, in fact, God with us. He told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if we want to look at what righteousness, the righteousness of our Father looks like, we look at Jesus, and we get to see what righteousness looks like in human flesh and blood, lived out by a human being. Second thing we find out in this passage is it's given to all of those who believe in Jesus. As we embrace Jesus, the righteousness of God, God gives us that righteousness as a gift. He grants to us, imparts to us, his righteousness as a gift. Beauty for ashes, right? His righteousness in exchange for our sins, the grace of God. This is what is truly remarkable about the love of God. This divine exchange of beauty for ashes, of righteousness in exchange for our sins.
Romans 3, 23 through 25 goes on to say, For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as, I'm sorry, who displayed His blood through faith. Verse 25. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's heart and desire was not only to redeem his creation, but to fill it with righteousness so that we would love one another, so we would experience what it means to be fully human, to be loved and to love others. So he sent his son to die for us, taking upon his shoulders our sins and then imparting to us through his resurrection, his death and resurrection, not only life, but righteousness so that we can begin to not only experience it, but give it away. This has been the divine plan all along. It moves us from the gift, right, that comes through faith in Jesus to how we express the gift. Yeah, we receive Jesus and his righteousness. And then we're commanded to express that righteousness and to give it away. So let's talk about expressing and exercising the gift of righteousness. Understanding and exercising the gift is what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's what Paul means. That's what he's trying to communicate. That you receive that by faith in Jesus, and then you begin to walk that out. You begin to manifest and express that righteousness. That's your breastplate that you put on. And how do we do that? Well, we gain our understanding of this righteousness by studying and meditating on the life of Jesus, by spending time looking at his life in the pages of Scripture and thinking about that life, thinking deeply about that life, learning to commune via his Spirit with the, the living Lord, the living Christ. We get, we get to see his life unfold before us. And then interact with that. Ask him questions about the story. Because he's a living Lord. And in doing so, we begin to understand what righteousness looks like. What it means. And how to actually apply that in our lives. And give it away. In studying the life of Jesus... We get to see what goodness looks like. The Lord is good, and He is. And we can see it as we discover in the pages of Scripture His life. He's equitable, too, how He treats people. He treats them as individuals, taking into consideration their circumstances in their lives, treating them equitably related to their circumstances. Everyone has a different set of circumstances in life. Your life is totally radically different than every other human being. 
And when you think about our life here in America in contrast with that with lives of, of, of brothers and sisters in third world countries that are under tremendous persecution, I mean, there's some vast differences in our lives. And Jesus comes and he works with each and every one of us, having a framework of who we are, what we've been through, our hurts, our anger, our, 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 our hang-ups. And he relates to us within that context. He's equitable. He's just. And he's always right. His judgments are true and righteous altogether. Our job when we study the scriptures our job is to say, Lord, as I look into the pages to your story, open my eyes. Open my eyes and my heart to understand who you are and how to allow you to live your life through me. How can I apply what I'm learning in my life and in my circumstances? Holy Spirit, come help me understand that. And then as you understand that, you apply it to your life. You do it. You walk it out. And that's the thrill. That's the journey of being born again is you get this, this relationship with Jesus that's living and dynamic that you can interact with every day, day in and day out. And it's a beautiful relationship. But it's a relationship that must be cultivated and fostered through time spent with him and time spent in his word. This is how we understand what righteousness is. This is how we put it on. This is how we live it out. Now, I'm going to give you some guiding principles. These are the big principles of righteousness. And they originate in God. In fact, it's who he is. So in Exodus chapter 34, Moses has been asking God, pleading with God, I, I want to see you. I want, I want, I want to know you intimately. So God finally says, okay, Moses, I'm going to give you an encounter with me. Since you've been asking and you're sincere, pressing in, I'm going to give you an encounter. And so this is the encounter. This is what we're reading uh, was the encounter that was given to Moses. It says, then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the unrepentant unpunished. This is a righteous God. This is righteousness. The principles of righteousness are governed by compassion, and grace. Being righteous is about loving people. Being righteous is about giving grace to people, loving them simply because of who they are, not because what they do or don't do. That's a part of what it means to be righteous. That's who God is. God is righteous in his love for you and that it's based in grace. That's a part of what righteousness is. He is a God that is slow to anger. That's an aspect of righteousness. To be quick to anger is not righteous at all. It's a breach of righteousness. 
Righteousness demands that we are slow to anger, that we're very patient in whatever it is related to the injustice at hand. We're to be graceful with people, kind to people, slow to anger. It says abounding in loving kindness. You know, just being kind to people, being kind to one another, being kind to your wife. What does that mean? What does it mean to be kind to your wife? It means to live with her in an understanding way. What does that mean? It means you don't understand her, right? Men, right? Husbands? They are not men, but yet we try to treat them like men. And then we're wondering why they're just like wanting nothing to do with us. Well, they're not one of the boys. They're not one of the men. They are a different, (laughs) you know, we just had to go there, huh? Yeah, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Righteousness is recognizing that mystery, being sensitive to that, and including them in the dialogue. Honey, what does it mean to love you? What, What is it that you need from me? How can I do that better? That's a part of what it means to be righteous, to be filled with loving kindness, how we treat our children, how we treat our employers and our employees, abounding in loving kindness and truth, faithful and persevering in that loving kindness, forgiving each other quickly rather than holding a grudge and making people pay. It's about forgiveness. This is what we find remarkable about our Father in heaven. And if it's true about him, shouldn't we be like him? To be like God means to be compassionate, full of loving kindness and grace, right? To give away forgiveness quickly for those who need it. This is righteousness. Let's look at a snapshot in Jesus' life and see what righteousness looks like. And let me tell you something. It's different in every scenario. It's, it's, it can't be, it's, it's not something you can, you know, with a cookie cutter, you know, cut it out and have that perfect every time. No, it's, it's living, dynamic, flexible, and changing based on the circumstances and the people involved. But here's one of them. Here's, here's the snapshot. We can gain principles from this. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very act. Now in the law of Moses... It's commanded to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. The Pharisees and scribes, They showed up that day when Jesus was teaching and they tried to set him up. They present a woman 
And you can imagine how she's feeling, pretty petrified. What, what is the, what is the um, penalty for adultery? Yeah. So her very life is at stake, shamed in front of all these people, and now presented to be adjudicated by Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He stoops down to the ground and begins to ride in the dirt. I find that absolutely fascinating. I mean, what is he doing? Well, he's certainly not doing what they want him to do. I'm sure it bothered them greatly that he's not paying attention to them. He's ignoring them. I always wondered, what is he riding in the dirt? Now, it's speculation, but it's good speculation. I think maybe he's writing like the names of some of the men there that are accusing her. Dates and place. If she was a prostitute, there's a chance that some of these men had already paid for her services. Maybe that's what he's writing in the ground, right? Or maybe he's writing passages of of Scripture that he's going to then open up anyway. Who knows, though? It's, it's just speculative. But I do find it very interesting that he stoops down to ride in the dirt, and it had to come across as he's ignoring us. You know, we are, the, we are these leaders in Israel. How dare he ignore us? So, we have some problems already that are surfacing. Leviticus 20 and verse 10 says, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. In the first century, by the time we get to the first century, the only way that you could be stoned for adultery is if you were caught in the very act. You lost your life for this. If you were going to commit adultery, do you think you would be careful about that? Do you think you would make plans and, and make sure that you are not going to be caught? Of course. It is a capital offense. You know, you know I, I, I used to have the, the, the data on how many people were stoned for adultery. It, it was something like one in every seven years. It was like, it just didn't happen. You just have to be stupid to get caught. I mean... I mean, to be caught in the act is almost impossible if you're careful. Which begs the question, right? If she was caught in the very act of adultery, where is the man? Right? I mean, if they caught her in the act, he had to be present. Why is he not here today? Why is he not presented with her? Because they're up to no good. It's a setup. It's a setup. Thus, he's ignoring them, riding in the dirt. And this doesn't go well, of course, right? These malicious witnesses begin to press him. Verse 7. But when they persisted in asking, that means that they asked him several times. 
that they persisted in, in saying, hey, s- stop it. We're, t- we're talking to you. There's a problem here. We've caught her in the act. You need to give us your attention. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who was without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. It's like he's given them some time to think about that. It's like, here, here, I, I, you, you want to know what Moses actually said? Are, are you asking me what the Torah says regarding adultery? Well, here's one of the passages that's related to that. Why don't you think about that for a moment? He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. One of the passages in the text says that if it's a capital offense and you're a witness, you're, you're part of the party that actually does the stoning. That, w- that would slow down a lot of false witnesses, by the way, wouldn't it? Now, Jesus' words must be understood in context because many people try to point out, yeah, 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 you can't judge if, if, you know, if you have sin, and everyone has sin, so no one should be judging. That's not what it's saying. If Jesus is talking about, generally speaking, sin in your life, We'd have to defund our entire judicial system. There would be no courts. There would be no adjudicating. There would be, it would be a free, it'd be anarchy out there, right? Because every judge, every prosecutor has sin in their life. So he's not talking about sin in general. He's talking about sin in relationship to the alleged crime. This is what it says. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed, but only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a matter be confirmed. Without sin relates to the matter at hand. Witnesses had to be free of any sin related to the crime that they are accusing the person of. They they can't be complicit in the crime that they're alleging. We call this entrapment. This is the brilliance of Jesus and his interpretation of the Torah. He says, if anyone here is a true witness and wasn't involved in the entrapment of this woman, you go ahead and pick up the first stone and throw it. Deuteronomy 17:7. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, all the rest of the witnesses. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Here's our big problem. If you were part of the group that set her up, then you would be excluded as a malicious witness and your participation in her stoning, if you were to press forward, would constitute murder of which you would have to answer to God for. So he reminds them, 
You're trying to set me up. You've entrapped her to do this. The witnesses were involved in this. So I'm calling on Moses and bringing to your mind what he says. And if you are guiltless and uninvolved in this entrapment, you throw the first stone. But if you're not and you throw the stone, you'll be guilty of murder. So let's proceed. What happens? It says in verse 9, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. You, you can imagine that, right? They, they perhaps were holding stones. He reminds them, if you participated in this and you stone her, you're guilty of murder. Now, the older ones, wiser, had more of a background in life and the Torah and so forth. They were the first ones to just drop the stones. You can imagine, you can imagine being there that day, right? And hearing the first stone thud as it hits the ground. And then other people looking. And then another witness, another witness. And finally, all the witnesses dropping the stones because they were guilty. They had plotted with these leaders in entrapping this woman, and they knew they could not participate without being guilty of her murder that day. So they all walk out, and they leave Jesus alone with the accused. Fascinating. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? What is going on in the heart of this woman? She's alone. There are no witnesses. Everyone's gone. Just her and Jesus. Like all of us, she's encountering a very wise king, a righteous king, full of compassion and loving kindness and mercy. She's encountering true righteousness that takes into account the equity of the situation. The fact that she was entrapped in this, manipulated, and now she stands before her king. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, and I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Could Jesus have condemned her that day? You know, the wisdom of Torah is it's the ways of God given to us in written form. And those ways include due process, credible witnesses, testimony and rebuttal, and then finally, the adjudication, the ruling. Jesus is saying, hey, according to the Torah, there's no witnesses here. Th that means you're free to go. The Torah itself protects you. The righteousness of God is not only in me, it's in the Torah, which I authored and wrote and gave. 
So go your way and sin no more. Why? Well, close call today. Let's not gamble with sin. Let's learn from this. Receive my mercy, receive my grace, receive the justice given to you through the Torah and go and sin no more. You go out and you begin to embrace this righteousness, what you've experienced today, and begin to share that with others. Such a powerful, dramatic story. Jesus is revealing the Father in his righteousness in this story. So in conclusion, let's make some application. We need to understand righteousness in order to put it on. We need to understand this gift that's been given to us and through study and meditation unpack it, apply it to our life, and then give it away. In studying and meditating on Jesus, we need to ask for wisdom and understanding to rely on the Holy Spirit to help cultivate his character, his righteousness in our hearts. And then to put that breastplate of righteousness on daily in order to resist evil and to advance the kingdom. Next week, we're going to talk about sharing the gospel of peace. It relates to this. Everything that we learn, every, every piece of armor that we have is designed to really empower us to go out and advance the kingdom, to go out and share the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the loving kindness of God, and the truth of God so that we can resist evil and push it back so we can create sacred space so that people can know the Lord and be saved and delivered and experience this beautiful, wonderful gift of righteousness that you and I have. Jesus wants to do today what he's always done in the past, and he wants to do it through you. Won't you let him do that? Won't you allow him to do that? To say, yes, Lord, here I am, use me and to allow Jesus to collaborate with you in giving away that righteousness to one another. First to your spouses, to your children, to your neighbors, and out to the ends of the world. For we are his people, called by his name, and his righteousness is in us, trying to express and manifest itself. Let's, let's open those doors and manifest his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Shabbat shalom. Love you.